Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of our show. Today it's me, Jean Galea, accompanied by my guest, Gustas from Inrento. We'll be talking about this new platform and how it works, what are the risks, what level of risk we are taking when we invest in rental properties, which is their chosen target market for investments. And I found it to be a very informative conversation with Gustas, who I think is a brilliant guy. I've known him for around two years now, based on his previous experience with Evo Estate, which is another platform that I like. And as always, it's been a great conversation with him. And I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. And I encourage you to follow that up by checking out inrento.com. Without further ado, let's get into this chat I had with, uh, with Gustas. Hi, Gustas. Welcome back to the show. And it's the second time you're here with us. You're one of the few guests who have been with us twice. And for a good reason, you're involved with a new platform. Uh, we had gotten you to speak uh, around a year or a year and a half back to speak about Evo Estate. And this time we're going to be speaking about Enrento, which, as I'm aware, you've got just got a good funding round, a seed round which I'm sure you'll be talking about. So again, welcome to the show. And let's do another intro as, as it's been quite a while for the people who might not know you. Hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. You know, it's always great to be on your show. Let me introduce myself. So my name is Gustas. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have co-founded founded a few fintech companies. One of them is quite relatively well-known in crowdfunding space called Evo Estate. So for those who don't know, I'll briefly introduce that. Basically, Evo Estate is a, a single and the largest real estate crowdfunding aggregator where basically investors can sign up and invest from a single account all over Europe. So Evo Estate today probably serves something like 5,000 investors. We have helped to finance deals in 18 countries. And... Uh, we are you know, creating diversification for each investor bigger and bigger every day. While I w was actually running Evo Estate, I, I came to a very interesting conclusion. Basically, the crowdfunding and the P2P in Europe, everyone is focusing on the high-risk investments. You know, Everyone wants highest return, highest uh, risk. And I mean, in general, that's okay. But for a lot of people and the general population, crowdfunding or P2P investments can seem quite high level of risk, even if we consider just the general industries like real estate development or consumer credit, it's just a, a high risk product. What I noticed was that in Europe, there are basically, I would say no one isn't actually doing lower risk crowdfunding products. And I figured that, you know, maybe this is a market where, you know, we could tap in and create lowest risk environment platform. Uh, in Europe, and that's how Inrento came up. So Inrento is Europe's, to be very precise, uh, Eurozones. Uh, you know the the, the mm -hmm. continental Europe's yes. first licensed uh, buy-to-let crowdfunding platform. So essentially, what we do, we'll help people to invest in rental real estate without requiring these really large amounts to acquire it, and then naturally without the hassle of managing and maintaining them. So we are solving these two critical issues. And so far, we, from returns perspective, we've been 
very competitive even compared to a lot of development platforms. Okay, let me let me just challenge you on this aspect of risk. So I've basically probably seen most platforms and I've invested in several of these platforms in Europe and even the UK. I would include the UK as well. And I've seen kind of the whole range of risk. I would perhaps say that I would not necessarily agree that Enrento is the only one, but uh, I would like you to go a bit deeper in why you think Enrento falls on the low risk side of the scale. So let's paint the picture of this whole scale of risk that we've been talking about. Like on the high risk side, what can we find? Middle, what can we find? And low risk. Obviously, everything is risky, but there are degrees of risk. Yeah, of course. Naturally, you know, I have to put a disclaimer here that naturally I'm biased. You know, yes. that's, uh, that comes with a disclaimer. But but that's why I'm here to challenge you on the other side for the benefit of the listeners. All right. So I think that the highest risk generally are unsecured loans. So basically, unsecured real estate loans, sometimes they are called as variable interest. These are loans are where you can get the highest return, but at the same time, you have very few guarantees. Then if we go lower, I would say that uh, the most common one and the one who sits in the middle is uh, development uh, finance loans, which basically are fixed interest loans. They are backed by real estate collateral. And, you know, they have uh, LTVs, you know, something 70%, 65%. Then I would say that the one who is lower uh, than this one are the classic buy-to-lets. So basically the ones that you see in UK platforms or you see in some unregulated platforms in Europe as well, is where they buy the asset, they offer it to the investors, investors you know, invest, and then they are administrating the asset and distributing the interest. And then I would say that I would like to consider that we are below them for one simple reason. Although we provide very similar project as it is buy to let, but in our case, we have external borrower. And that external borrower is not only managing the asset, but also taking on, you know, the financial responsibility and, you know, obligations that this person needs to fulfill to the investors. So what I'm saying by that, different to those platforms, what we are trying to do is we want to have a combination of both, meaning a cash flow investment and at the same time, a security for the investors. So meaning that even though the, the asset is, you know, acquired and it's fully rented out and, uh, you know, there's no, not going to be some development or a, a, an element which will increase the value, the asset also has LTVs and we are targeting 80% LTVs. Usually, you know, some projects are riskier, they bring, you know, higher returns, some projects are more conservative, lower returns, higher security. So I think these are two elements which make, uh, which makes us position ourselves as the lower interest, uh, lower, yeah, I said it right. I said I'm incorrect, but in the same, in the same, in the same time, right, that lower interest, but at the same time, lower risk uh, platform. Okay. And, and uh, for those who are totally new, let's, let's get into what LTV means. And more importantly, I think, because you mentioned on the high risk side, those loans where some platforms are actually kind of inventing the value because they're projected. It's a projected value of what the development 
will be at the end of the project, if that ever gets finished. But I think the LTV yeah. is, is an important thing to talk about. LTV is uh, a metric, which means uh, loan-to-value ratio, which basically indicates the value of the asset versus the amount of loan. And I think this is where it also gets interesting if we dig really deep inside the real estate crowdfunding platforms and the market uh, as you know as a full. As I told you initially, you know, I, I have experience with working probably with 20 real estate crowdfunding platforms. I analyze their finances, business models. And uh, there's a big difference between platforms who measure only value, basically asset value to loan and, you know, calculate LTV this way. And then there are platforms who go a little bit beyond and they measure the price. So basically, you know, you can see uh, in the internet, uh, you know, in forums or other platforms that basically this asset was uh, bought, you know, for 50,000, then, you know, it's somehow valued at 200,000. So basically when we analyze risk and we look at things, uh, we look not only, you know, at this valuation of the asset, but we also look into actual acquisition price because in our case, we are always trying to finance deals at the acquisition with unrelated um, uh, parties. This way, you know, the, the, the price is dependent by the market, but then we also have value as an indication for risk uh, management. Okay. I'm sorry I'm going to be a bit boring here, but I think it's very important to make it clear for everyone listening. If we were to talk about the spectrum that we're talking about, but as if it were a person doing the, the real estate investment on his own, forget the platforms for now. Could we give the listeners some examples of these three different models that we mentioned, uh, how to get involved with real estate? I guess the riskiest part that you mentioned would be buying a parcel of land, maybe in some area which is targeted for having a big growth potential, building up some apartment complex, and then hoping that in the meantime, the area will def will actually grow in market demand. The place that you built was good and there's demand for it, et cetera, et cetera. That would be the, the highest risk. Am I correct? I would say yes. But I would say that, you know, the highest risk comes uh, not because, you know, you're building something new in a unknown area, but mainly because if you were to build this uh, asset and you would ask me for money and I would say, yeah, I'm giving you the money, but, you know, I, I don't really care if you give me something back in terms of security. And this way, you're, you have more freedom in order, you know, when to sell, for what value, price to sell. And you're basically, you know, you have a very high freedom of choice. So for me, as, uh, you know, the lender, this is probably not the, the most uh, safest element. But at the same time, my returns are not capped, meaning that, you know, if you make uh, good projects, you make good returns. Uh, I'm going to earn good returns as well. Yeah. I agree. And, and we've seen a lot of examples of this kind of risky investments on platforms that have either gone bust or platforms that are still still running. I mentioned Housers because I am in Spain and I've seen this kind of uh, investment and I've seen how many of them failed eventually. And again, I, I saw someone mention some of these investments in Lithuania, I think it was, they were building some fancy apartments next to the seaside. Again, there was, you're not only betting on, on the, 
development itself, but on the area on whether it will develop. And as you said, the borrower has a lot of freedom, maybe too much freedom. So, so we're agreed on that. What about the middle, the mid risk portion that we mentioned? How would it be uh, the analogy of someone doing it on his own? What would he be doing in that case? So, you know, you're, you're building a house or, you know, you bought already an existing house and you want to refurbish. And, uh, instead of, you know, coming to me, you know, I'm, uh, I may have, you know, higher risk appetite. So I give you, you know, unsecured loan. And, uh, this way, you know, we did another deal, but if you were to do this one and you see that your project, you know, it qualifies for uh, good terms financing at the bank. So you just go there and you ask for fixed interest loans. Uh, and that's it, you know. For the creditor, you know, the, the good thing is that he know what he's supposed to get back. You know, this is the amount and he has collateral. Your project doesn't work out. Uh, he takes over the asset, sells it, and then, you know, he, co- uh, you know, he covers your obligations. Uh, but uh, at the same time, there's some downside to it that, you know, your returns are capped. So meaning, no, like, you know, you can make a 200% returns, you know, and, uh, but I'm as a bank, I, I will just get my fixed interest and that's it, you know. I'm not saying that, you know, one investment type or another is better or worse. It's just different risk elements and it's a different type of investor. Uh, so, some of, you know, you cannot, uh, how to say, like, if someone wants to earn 50, above 15%, so probably it's the, the best way for him is to just invest in unsecured loans. This way he can maximize those returns with fixed interest loans, uh, with collateral, most likely you will not achieve that. But again, like, uh, it's not like, uh, it also, there's no guarantee that you will make this money because it's unsecured. So you have to, you know, already calculate how, how many defaults you will have. I agree. And uh, I'm asking all these questions because I know I've made the mistake when I started with real estate of not understanding these different risk profiles and just you know, taking risks, which I shouldn't have. So I want to make sure that people who are getting in now understand the risk spectrum. And then obviously one can understand his own risk tolerance and invest appropriately. So the kind of mid level risk that we're talking about would be kind of what people say when they do house flipping. Would that be similar to what we're talking about here where they buy a property refurbish it hope to get it on the market within eight months sell for 20 percent profit yes i would say yes but i would also include you know developments it all it all depends on the deal structure and you know the okay. securities the borrower provides the, the lender all right and then let's move on to the lower risk spectrum and let's say again single investor what would he be doing in the traditional world this investor would do the most common investment type most likely in Europe that everyone has been doing for hundreds of years is buying a rental property, just renting out, dealing with tenant, collecting monthly rent, and later either selling or keeping it, you know, or renovating and keeping it uh, for the future. I think that uh, this sort of investment type needs uh, no introductions. Uh, we We know Everyone has, you know, an, uh, a friend, an acquaintance or himself or a family member who does it. You know, that's, that's the most understandable, the most uh, common way to invest in Europe. Yes. And I would say most people even buy their properties based on this rationale as well. I'm going to buy a property, live in it. Okay. Instead of rent it out, maybe 
probably it will increase in value if I need to sell it in the future. Everybody is happy, low risk. Yep. I would debate whether it will always work, but that's the, the rationale. Yeah, that's, that's the rationale. And I think, uh, for all, it not always works, you know, like the, the market is generally dynamic. Like you, if we consider that what has been, uh, working in the past, you know, it, it doesn't mean it will work forever in the future, but generally, you know, that's exactly the reason why we are putting down, we are having the borrower in our model. And that's why we structure it as a financing product, not an equity product. And what I mean by that, that you know, you have LTV. So, you know, we just previously explained. So let's take an example of uh, a project we uh, we had before. So basically we had uh, 80% LTV, something like 100, probably, I think 108,000 euros to finance and the value is 135,000. So let's consider Delroy, the market doesn't go up. By the way, for, for some context, because we didn't mention my mistake. Um, these properties that we're talking about so far are in Lithuania. And these three projects that I can see on the website are in Vilnius, the three of them. And we're talking at the moment about one particular project, which people can see on the website. It's a modern office at Aetis Street, then Vilnius. <laughs> future Street. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the what street it means? Of the future. Yeah, it means the cool. street of the future. It, it doesn't look that that much the, the street <laughs> of the future, but at least it's the name of it. Nice. How do you pronounce it? Uh, ITTS. 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 Okay. Yeah, ITTS. Got it. So, yeah, sorry, I stopped you there. I just wanted to give some context. Yeah. So, basically, this particular project, you know, it has LTV of 80%. So, what it means in reality, it was the loan value, loan amount was 108,000. And now, if I'm not mistaken, the value of the asset by independent value was 135,000. What it means is that, you know, if we have, uh, let's, co let's consider the market doesn't go well, right? Uh, let's say the market decreased by 10%, the value. So, you know, if we take this hypothetical example that, you know, today the asset value is 135,000 and it goes 10% down. So, right, we lose 13,000 of the price. We get uh, 100 20 something thousand price. And then, you know, even if we sell by this price, you know, the investors get capital growth in this particular case. So this is, this is exactly the case, you know, how, how we try to secure the projects. And, uh, we, there's always some way, uh, some place in case the project would, you know, decrease, uh, in value. All right. And, uh, I see here that there are, to properties which were commercial and there's another one which is residential they have a particular focus or do you plan to do both you know we would like to have all like basically on commercial and residential and short-term vacational rentals but you know like today the market is really interesting of real estate because what we have today uh, in lithuania and we're seeing this across all europe the real estate prices are increasing in some cases, it just makes no sense to buy because, you know, you have a very low rental yield, you know, 3 4%. I mean, in Barcelona, 4% is fine, but not, not in Lithuania. Basically, you know, in Barcelona, a good rental yield for a residential asset is 4%. I mean, if you're going to 5%, it's pretty high. But I'm talking about, like, real Barcelona, not, not some suburbs, some interesting area, real Barcelona. And main reason for that is because there's a lot of money. People are willing to buy properties in Barcelona. They have really high prices. 
but the rent of the asset just cannot go higher because the population of Barcelona is just not turning enough to cover that rent. So in this case, the value is increasing because a lot of people are buying, banks are financing the property. And Barcelona generally is in, you know, it's one of those markets in Europe where people just like to park their money. It's like a saying when, you know, you have a lot of money, you don't know where to put it and you want to put it somewhere safe, but also, you know, maybe it would make generate some uh, income, but uh, you're not looking for really high returns. Barcelona is one of your options. So basically 4% yield in Barcelona, that's fine. As an investor, if I buy an apartment here, I'm going to be hoping for the 4% yield every year, but I'm also banking on an increase in the value of the property if I sell in 10 years or five years. Yeah. That's the idea. But you know, like if, if, if we analyze like Barcelona market in particular, you have those acquisition taxes. Uh, I think it's 11.5% or something close to it in Barcelona. So like you need your property to grow in value pretty high that you also, you know, cover all those taxes. So it depends. This main reason why these taxes exist is, you know, to prevent the specul speculation and, you know, Spanish real estate market with flipping. So this is what you have in Spain. And then if we look at Lithuania, I would say that uh, 6% rental yield from residential assets, so housing, is a good result. But then again, we have to analyze each uh, district, like uh, like Vilnius uh, city center, the old town. I think the average return is 4.5%, same as Barcelona, really high prices compared to low rents. Like it makes more sense to rent an apartment there, but the capital growth is there. Like the, the price of the assets are growing or have been growing for a very long time. So this is what's happening generally across all of Europe that we are seeing, you know, the, the rental yield decreases because the, all the prices of the assets are growing but just to dig down for for people let's let me play the stupid investor uh, why why is it okay to earn four percent in barcelona and not okay to earn four percent in lithuania you know it depends like uh, in lithuania also there are some places where four percent makes sense and at the same time there are some places in barcelona where it doesn't make sense you know so and what's the logic behind how we decide whether it makes sense or not. You know, Jean, I can tell you one important aspect, you know, which I've been trying to tell to a lot of people that, you know, like the, as obvious as it sounds, a lot of people ignore it, that the return, the investment return that you get, it usually indicates the risk, as simple as that. So basically, you know, if we consider some property in uh, Ramblas, you know, or something, uh, you know, like uh, everything like uh, in the city center of Barcelona, like just you lose a tenant next month, you will have another tenant. So, you know, you have very uh, good vacancy and you also have very good liquidity. So there's a lot of buyers. You don't need to drop the price if you need to cash out. So that's uh, one of the things. But I think that if we are speaking particularly about Barcelona or Spain in general, for a lot of people owning... Uh, not only house, but also a rental property. It's an emotional thing, you know, like people like to own things. They like to touch them. They like to be in them. And, you know, for people and especially people uh, from the north, you know, uh, Spain is something very, you know, and people want to be there. They want to spend more time. Uh, you know, like uh, people think that I'm going to buy an apartment in Barcelona. You know, I will rent it out now. Then I, when I'll have children, maybe they will study in Barcelona. They have a place to stay. 
you know, as, uh, you know, like, I think in general, you know, like the Europeans really like to own uh, real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, the, although the, the general economical logic says that, you know, renting real estate is cheaper for you than owning it, but people love it. And it's, you, you can't actually blame the people because it's, it's, it's emotional decision. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we're going to look for ROIs and calculate XIRRs in every step of our lives, you know, sometimes the life could get, you know, miserable. Yeah. So people, you know, it's important, you know, to follow this uh, fire idea of, you know, saving money, uh, investing, you know, not spending more than you earn and all of this. But look, like, uh, we're all people. Uh, we all, you know, enjoy different things and some things come at higher price. And, you know, you, some people spend it in this way. It makes them feel uh, happier. And, you know, you can't really put a price point on happiness. Yes, I've had this argument many times myself. I currently rent. I wouldn't have it any other way. But ultimately, it's not a financial decision. It's just I love to move around even within the city. So it would not make any sense for me even emotionally to invest in one property, decorate it and everything, and then have to move it. It would be too painful. So like this, I rent. I can move out in one month or less move to another country, no problem. If I had to settle for 10, 20 years in one place, I would probably buy, irrespective of the financial aspect of it. However, as you correctly pointed out, when you invest in a property, location is very important. And we've also seen in Spain what making that mistake means in the past. And to this day, you can see some ghost cities not on the scale that there is in China, for example, but there are some smaller scale ghost cities where people had invested with the mistaken idea that property always goes up, the demand never stops. That didn't uh, come true and they lost all their money basically. So good point that you made. And coming back to, to Lithuania, what you were talking about before I derailed you about with the subject a bit. Um, you are talking about Lithuania, about the the yields that you're getting there, yeah, and the types of uh, yeah. properties. And the, yeah, I was, you know, I was talking about how, why why today's market is quite tough, you know, uh, working at in rental, you know, to me and my team. Uh, so, you know, one aspect, you know, that the prices are increasing and the yields are decreasing. So that's 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 first point and the obvious one. The second point is that you know, there's no secret that. We are still relatively new. We don't have a massive user base and we cannot fund large properties. So what it means for us uh, running our operations. If we find a good asset, you know, something for below 300,000 euros, you know, borrowers apply with like really nice properties to, you know, to acquire them. In most of the cases, we compete against our clients who are on our platform. Not meaning this in exact way that you know you run are my investor and I'm competing bidding on the the you know these mm -hmm. or my uh, you know borrowers bidding on uh, you, but that this type of investor, you know, now during the lockdown, this sort of person has saved up a lot of money. He can apply for funding at the bank, and he can acquire them. So this is what makes our job hard today. Then the, the third one is that, like, I personally prefer commercial premises more over residential. 
And uh, right now, you know, like we get a lot of applications, but simply there isn't a tenant or, you know, that the tenant has like a decreased uh, price uh, for rent. And residential? Uh, residential is, uh, is different, but the residential problem is that the yields are too low. You know, if I put uh, uh, an investment where, uh, you know, people can invest for 4%, <laughs> no matter how nice the house will be, you know, I, I don't think people on crowdfunding will get too excited about it, you know. But we we are looking at uh, both aspects, and we are looking for best deals. So right now, one of our key criteria in our risk scoring is, you know, analyzing the tenancy. So basically, is the tenant paying? Is he financially strong? Uh, with these residential assets, what like uh, the project that we are currently funding? It it has, I would say, very high interest rate for rental. Uh, investments it has 7.36 percent i think which you know like if you invest in real estate development you'll get seven seven percent yield so it's quite high and what we particularly liked about this asset there's another element which we still haven't touched down in this uh, our conversation is that the return on rental depends on three aspects so one the interest rate for financing paid by the borrower second the rental yield and third one is the capital growth. So if the property would be sold later for a higher price, the difference would be spread between the borrower and the investor. So in the case uh, with this particular project, we looked at the historical uh, data of historical capital appreciation of that uh, uh, district for these type of assets. So historical appreciation over five years is 33% over the last five years. So and this 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 district is up and coming and what's really nice about it is that all right it has six units six tenants one walks out the other stay in so the risk is minimized on this aspect the price of the rent is very low it's some now if i'm not mistaken it's 250 euros per apartment uh, it's a studio apartment it's pretty small but you know, like even in Lithuania, this is like really, really small amount to pay for uh, for rent. Uh, if if I ask you to go to you know listing site and find me an apartment for two hundred fifty euros, maybe you would find something in old Soviet blocks, but you wouldn't find anything new. This particular uh, property was uh, fully refurbished in twenty nineteen, and you're just fifteen minutes away from the old town. So what? Our general, uh, you know, belief and analysis has shown that even if the tenant walks in, the other tenant will come in less than forty-five days. This is actually what the historical data also suggests, because we, of course, monitor the historical transactions of each asset. So if one tenant walks out, the other one comes in really quick. So this is the deal, you know, that we are currently financing. The previous, the previous deals, just to give some context, are also like we finance micro offices. Uh, Vilnius Center, Prime Area, uh, but also same idea, you know, very cheap rent. Uh, you don't find those in Vilnius. And uh, even during the lockdown, these are very small units. So when you have uh, freelancers or individuals, you know, who are working, uh, not at companies, but, you know, anyone, you know, graphic designer, uh, whatever comes to your mind, you know, some of them have families, they cannot work from home or their home do not have, do not provide these availabilities. You can also rent a really, really nice office in Vilnius city center for less than 300 euros. Also like these, these prices are, it's hard to find. So this was our 
investment philosophy for those two assets. The other asset, we, uh, what we really liked about the second one that I just told about, 80% LTV. So we like this aspect that it has 80% LTV. The other aspect which we really liked was that there, when you have such a high, like when you have 80% LTV and you have 20% price difference, in a sense, you can consider that you are getting an instant capital growth. Like if, if you think from that perspective, and if you look at the historical data, we looked at there were in the same building for very similar properties, the transactions were much higher. So sales transactions. So uh, it was a bargain for the investors from that perspective. And the tenant was good as well. Like we discussed, uh, you know, when uh, we analyzed projects, we also uh, tried to get in touch with the tenant to understand what is the real situation if we are talking about business tenant during this pandemic period so you know this tenant in particular what we liked you know he had an expiring rental contract with few months left and he said like if the project owner will invest a little bit to fix all the air conditioning systems we're going to stay there for at least a couple of years so you know we, to, to extend for you know two more years during the pandemic when you know people are working from homes uh, for such a property, you know, it gives a very good indication about its, uh, you know, its demand on the market. Okay, very interesting. And uh, two questions we haven't touched upon. Why Lithuania? Why Vilnius? And secondly, do you have any special advantages for securing good properties that, let's say, a knowledgeable person from Vilnius would not have? Uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's talk why Vilnius first. It's not only Vilnius right now. We are looking at all Lithuania. Why in particular Lithuania? It's main reason that this is where we are regulated. This is where we have the license. This is where we are from. This is the market that we know the best. And you know, during this uh, period of pandemic, you know, it's hard to move around. You know, <laughs> to be frank. So yeah. so it makes sense to go local. And uh, it's it's actually quite a good decision for us to start there because the market is very active. Uh, the real estate prices have been increasing, you know, over time. The economy is growing. Uh, maybe this year it will decrease as, you know, most of the European states. But in general, we have one of the top economies in terms of growth rate in Europe. The fintech uh, market is booming. Uh, Vilnius is becoming a full fintech hub, which, you know, is creating thousands of very high paying jobs which is you know naturally impacting the real estate market so i think that in general lithuania is a good place if uh, you know to to grow uh, your net worth if you're thinking to invest because there was somewhere i found this saying which i really liked uh, which said uh, lithuania the country which is as ambitious as you are and i really like this one because it doesn't says, uh, you know, so it, it's up to you, you know, how you see it, how, who you are. This is the country, you know, that's that's going to be. So in uh, that respect, I would say that, you know, people here are hungry. I wish Spain was like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Spain, Spain had its time and Spain yeah, was like that, you know, in 16, when, you know, you had Christopher uh, Columbus, you know, going to that's the USA. He, he, he was the real entrepreneur at that time. He was a prime example, you know, of the fintechs that we are doing in Vilnius. But, you sure. know, he was just, you know, times have changed. So I think that 
right now where we have Lithuania, it's uh, yeah, some people still think it's a developing market, but in general, purchasing power parity uh, index is higher than in Spain. And, you know, we don't have Barcelona or Madrid. So I think we are moving in the right direction. And then the second uh, aspect, why we think, uh, why do we have a better advantage than anyone else? So there are a few elements. I think the first one, we come down to the one that we had told before that we have project owners, borrowers. So, you know, we, we get tens or like I think now we have received close to 100 applications of real estate. So, you know, those people who are trying to borrow money, they are professionals. They've been in real estate markets for years. So, you know, if we add, add up their input, our input, this is where we come. If we speak from our team and, you know, our ability to assess, you know, real estate uh, investment opportunities or generally investments, you know, me and uh, our head of investments, we are licensed uh, financial brokers. So we hold uh, a license for MIFID II regulation uh, from Asset Management uh, Association. Our chief risk officer, you know, he's been in real estate for, I think, 30 years, 20 years. Uh, like, I mean, if you go to... You know, our website, you will see it uh, from his face. You know, he's been in this game for long years. Asset yeah. management, real estate, he's done everything in Lithuania. So from very small houses, he, uh, he's he been property manager of largest Lithuanian shopping malls, you know, where millions of people come every day. He's been uh, managing assets of the nation as well at uh, Turto Bankas, which is... Uh, a government institution which is responsible for all the properties the the country owns and decides whether it's time for them to sell, buy, own it, how to operate it. So I think from that perspective, you know, we have a team which is very diverse, but at the same time, our experience and knowledge overlaps is that we have a knowledge of uh, fintechs and financial institutions where, you know, I combine my uh, experience from EWA State uh, analyzing, you know, all those platforms. David, the, the you know, the uh, our head of investments, he's worked at companies like RoboMarkets, uh, which is quite known, in, uh, you know, investment brokerage firm. Vito Tas, our uh, communications person, he's been a former uh, employee at Pisera and other fintechs, you know, uh, and then, uh, you know, Ronaldus, who has done, I think, everything in real estate, whatever, you know, whatever the person can come up. So I think that in this perspective, you know, we uh, we are a good combination of people with, uh, you know, interest to build new things, build new technologies, and also the experience and, and low appetite for risk, to basically just control the, the, the risk level while creating something new. Mm -hmm. Very good. Makes sense. And now for people who have been used to seeing your face on the blog posts of Evo Estate, for example, you've been very involved with that platform. Can you explain what's your, if any, remaining involvement in Evo Estate and perhaps why you decided to branch off and do InRento? Just to give some context, because it's good for people to know how the two are related since you've been one of the driving forces behind Evo Estate as well. So today I'm only an uh, indirect shareholder of Evo Estate. So in that regard, I don't do anything, so to say. I trust the team that is there, and uh, I'm not involved in probably not any way in, in their operations. And I think this is a good, in a sense, it's also a good decision because 
at first when we were coming up with Inrento, like I really thought this is a this is a market opportunity, and also there is a problem on the market that needs to be solved. And I thought this could be like a branch of ours, and we could you know hire good people to run it, or you know have it sort of like on our side. But when we launched it, I was like CEO at both companies, and what I came to realize. The reason why Evo Estate has been liked by so many people around the world was probably one of the reasons that it's independent and, uh, you know, it gives, I would like to say, it's a podcast, so I probably can't say this, no bullshit review of projects, platforms. Like, this is this is what we've been about. This is who we are as people. And, uh, you know, we care about this uh, radical transparency. So... And what I came to realize that probably if I serve at both positions, it's not the best for Evo State, and at the same time, it's not bad, not not good for me from focus perspective, because at life, you know, you can focus on very few things if you really want to do them well. And I just, you know, I just I was thinking for a lot of time, and I just came to a conclusion that probably, you know, being based local, locally in Lithuania, it's a, uh, you know, in Toronto is the place where I should be. Uh, because before I didn't live in Lithuania for quite some time, and uh, you know, EWC was very international from that perspective. All our team, even today, is uh, spread across European countries. So, you know, it was a project where you have to be international in multiple countries, you know, dealing with different platforms. But the rental project is local, and I think for quite some time now, it will still remain local. And uh, me being local here is an advantage. Yeah, makes sense. And just to to be very clear, Evo Estate continues to operate as normal, still doing well, still a good place. I would recommend uh, investors check out. So it's not like you're moving on uh, Evo Estate as a project that is over. It's totally not over. It's just that Inrento is something different, as you mentioned. Yeah, and in fact, uh, you know, adding on this point, I think that uh, U.S. State is not, you know, doing well. It's actually continuing to grow, uh, which I think is very interesting and also important. And at the same time, for me, as being, you know, starting something new, a little mm -hmm. bit jealous. <laughs> challenge. <laughs> yeah, challenge, jealous. You know, it's like... Uh, it's it's growing and uh Evo State uh, with Odrus in charge it has very big plans. Uh you know, I uh I, I'm not going to spoil them here, but uh, I think that people will be aware and there are many good things that are going to happen on the marketplace and generally for the company. So I think um there are very exciting things to be waiting for. Mm -hmm. And and should we expect these properties of Enrento to also be present on Evo Estate? Yes. So, in rental, we'll continue to list its projects on Evo Estate. I think that for some investors, like for those especially who already have an account on Evo Estate, it probably makes more sense for them to invest via Evo Estate. Those who have don't have, I invite you to check out both platforms. I think that today for us, the biggest problem that we have right now is that, you know, it's sort of like a problem, but at the same time, it has extra layer of security is that in order to invest via in rental, we ask you to open a bank account that we serve. So meaning that when you have this bank account, the money is uh, 
initiated directly to the investment. So basically, the the project owner gets money directly from you. So naturally, this is this takes some time, and for some people, it's uh, quite annoying, you know, to open this account. So understanding this, I think Evo State could be an easier option if you want to get started. But uh, either way, I highly recommend you to check out both. When it comes to Inranto, we are uh, going to fix this problem very soon. So we're going to have some other wallet options where basically people will be able to uh, basically invest a little bit easier and the process will not be that troublesome. On this topic of giving the money directly to the borrower. So I've had some chats with other platforms and this might not apply in your case, but I'm, I'm going to ask you anyway. Some platforms have told me that they prefer taking the money themselves first because then they can release the money gradually based on milestones for that the borrower has to accomplish. And this makes a lot of sense with development. In this case, is this something that makes sense for you or not really? You know, I was like, to be very precise and how it works is that when you press the button of invest in rental, your money is not being moved anywhere. Your money still is in your bank account, but it's being reserved. So you, you cannot spend the money temporarily. If the project is successful, it's funded, it still keeps reserved. And only when the borrower completes the necessary security measures, so in our case, placing a mortgage or issuing some sort of guarantees, only then the money is being forwarded to the transit account, which is being owned and operated by PCR itself. So it's like an escrow account. And then the money is channeled to the borrower. So only when the security is made in place, the investments have guarantees, only then the investments are being channeled. So that that's how it works. If the project is also not funded, the reservation is canceled, the money is free to spend uh, in your account. Makes more sense, yeah. And uh, what is the business model for Enrento? And do you have skin in the game in these projects? I know that was a big thing on Evo Estate, for example. Yeah, so... You know, if I invested in uh, other platforms, projects, probably it makes, you know, there's no question whether I would invest in my own platform. So naturally, the answer is yes. The business model of Inrento is uh, like uh, most of the crowdfunding platforms. It's a financing uh, business where we charge the borrower uh, a fee for, you know, our services. So our in, uh, so to invest on Inrento is completely free. It's free. You know, it costs you nothing and the borrower pays there fee for the financing received okay and uh, i guess your alignment with the investor is through the skin in the game right because for other platforms one might say that yeah who cares they just finance the the project get their own fee and whatever happens happens but you in know, this case yeah i think uh you know when we created this model we were what what we came to realize generally from what I what I understood from my previous experience is that skin in the game really helps, but most importantly that the interests of everyone would be aligned. So when I said that yeah we earn money from financing the property, we also have a second part where we may earn money in the future is from capital growth. So basically when we have the spread from the capital growth, it's being spread between us 
the investors and the borrower. So in that regard, we are all in the same boat, so to say, and we all need the property to be sold more expensive that we would earn as well. But I think if we look a little bit deeper into our business model, we have to understand that the rental yield that the investor is receiving is based on revenue sharing, meaning that the project has to be doing well in order that one would earn. So if I'm earn, if the investors are earning, the borrowers are earning, everyone is happy. If the project is not rented out, it's not making money, investor is not happy in that case. And this is the situation what you have in most of the buy-to-let crowdfunding platforms across all the world. But what we do in rental is that we force the borrower to pay fixed interest. So basically, when the property is vacant, the investor still generates some return. But in the short term, for three months, its interest is pretty small. And uh, it's more as an urgency notice to the borrower to go and you know find the tenant as soon as possible. But if he doesn't find in this three months period, then this uh, fixed interest becomes increasing and increasing, increasing that the investor would get, uh, you know, uh, the returns he had expected for. So, in rental model only works, you know, if everyone's interests are aligned. If uh, one doesn't earn money, then the one, the other one also is not earning money. So it doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. So we try to, you know, we create a model where the the sort of like alignment of interest it's unbiased and everyone has to be in the same position makes sense and um, coming back to the the capital growth that you mentioned do you have any specific exit period where you plan to sell the properties within x amount of years and uh, and tied into that i also see that you have a secondary market where investors can liquidate their part if they need to. But I was interested if you have a specific timelines as well for each project. So, you know, each project is individual. Each project owner is individual. So we discuss different timelines uh, for each project. Uh, so far, we've been financing projects for up to seven years. So basically, this is the maximum time frame, which in a sense, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because it's usually a one rental window where you basically acquire the asset rent and you still don't need to make a massive renovation you know to for it to generate cash so this is the period that the the investors uh, should the, the product owner must sell the asset but he can also sell earlier there is a minimum time frame which is also indicated in each project if borrower violates it he pays penalties what it means for the investors more interest so good news if that happens, but I think that, you know, everyone, uh, you know, the project owners ourselves, you know, no one uh, at the same time, at one time, yes, if we want to look from one side, yes, the investment uh, is more long-term, but at the same time, nobody wants to keep it forever. Meaning that if there is a good deal, if there is a good offer to sell the property for profit, why not? Sell the prop, uh, property, make profit, distribute it, finance more deals, make more profit. Probably that's the whole sense of the investment. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, we mentioned briefly, and basically I've asked all the questions that I had, but I think in the beginning we mentioned also the, the seed round that you made, but we didn't really talk about it. So I think perhaps as a part of wrapping up, it would be good to 
talk about that additional piece of validation that you've recently got? We raised our first funding round, first external funding round. So we have raised it from uh, a couple of business angels and startup wise guys. So for us, it's uh, money always helps. Money always helps to grow business, but at the same time, it's great to have someone experienced who supports your idea. And, you know, these are institutional investors. They know what they're doing. And uh, it's great to have them on board. I believe that, you know, their uh, resources, both uh, capital resources and intellectual resources, will contribute to making our platform better. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to go abroad as soon as possible. But at the same time, we are we want to under- see how you know the situation works out with the pandemic and how things are progressing. Yeah, makes sense. Unless you have any other things you wanted to to share with us, just as a conclusion from my end, I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'm not involved in it, but I'm excited as an investor, as a, on these platforms. I think uh, the website itself is is brilliant really easy to understand what you do. Uh, I've been to Lithuania. I like the the place. So I've got a little connection with Lithuania. And uh, I know you for around two years now. I know how ambitious and knowledgeable you are. And I feel good about this platform and the kind of risk model that you chose because I've been burned on the, the higher risk models and I've come to prefer uh, th- these kind of models where I can just rest at ease and maybe risk in, in different kinds of asset classes. So congratulations on, on what you've done so far here. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. So that's a wrap for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as usual, I ask you to leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show and all the other shows we've produced so far. Please let us know if there is any other topic that you'd like us to tackle or platform to review. We're very open for hearing from you, your opinions, whether you like the shows we're producing. And yeah, just if if you've been listening to this show for the past few episodes or it's the first episode that you listen, we'd really, really appreciate if you could even just get in touch and tell us how you're finding it, what you'd like us to improve, and things like that. So the email is podcast at mastermind.fm. Again, podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can also find find us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. That's it for today from us, and see you in the next episode.